You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you are wiser than us, 
that we who have feeble minds, we are foolish, yet you are wise, and yet you do not desire that we stay where we are, that you desire that we would become wise. So we pray now as we open this book of Proverbs that you would make us wise in the Lord Jesus Christ, aided by your spirit. Help us, we pray, in these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. If you are a fourth through a sixth grader and want to go talk about wisdom, uh, you can follow Jordan Debbie out the door. Debbie, I don't know that you agreed in your pregnancy to sing a song so high as the one that you just let us in, but thank you. And thank you, baby, uh, for dealing with that. Uh, Well, if you were to walk through a cemetery and you saw a headstone that read, here lies a man who was wise, what would you think of? What, what is the description of this man? What did the people who etched that headstone want us to think about and remember about this person? Would it mean that he is wise? What is wisdom? It might be knowledge understanding, perhaps even right behavior. After all, Tim Keller says wisdom includes three things. It includes insight, which is knowing how things really work. It includes prudence, knowing how things really are, and then what to do about it. Wisdom is about skilled living. We might say a wise man is like an experienced sailor. Uh, Just when a sailor has been on a boat for a long time, He or she just knows the way the boat works, knows the right knot to tie, knows the way to trim the sails this way or that, depending on this kind of wind, can almost even see into the future that if this kind of wind happens, I must be able to act and react in this kind of way. In the same way that I could probably make a better paper airplane than a three-year-old. I'm not a great paper airplane, and in fact, my 11 and 12 year old kids can probably make better paper airplanes than I can now just because they watch YouTube videos about it. But if you don't know like the fundamental uh, ways of, of air and lift and lines and these kinds of things, you're just gonna make a bad paper airplane. There are rules and norms of the world. And if you can figure these things out, make decisions based on these norms, then things will usually go well. You will usually fly well. I mean, I had a roommate in college who had a crush on a gal who lived right above us. We had an apartment of four dudes, and there was four gals that lived right above us that we were all part of the same campus ministry. She was a Christian gal. He should have liked her. Uh, But he, uh, this is how he decided to make his intentions clear to her. He did not ask us Uh, which will be clear in just a second. He did not ask for advice. And so uh, he went and bought a small lemon tree, like you do, uh, and he put a note on it telling her how much he liked her, and he went upstairs, put it in front of the door, knocked on the door, and ran. Uh, I don't have to tell you, I think, that he didn't get a first date. Uh, He just didn't know the way things actually work in the world. He was actually not wise. He could not see into the future. Well, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. And so what? Do we expect then to open the book of Proverbs and find 
a proverb that tells you, uh, listen, my son, when courting after a young woman, do not buy her a lemon tree and knock and run. Is there a proverb for every scenario in life? No. But here's the thing. We can know our Bibles from cover to cover. We can know the Old Testament narratives, the law and poetry, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles, the end times, all of these things. But then, where are you going to turn when you start thinking about like where you should go to college? If you, if you should apply for this job or that, if you should take this job or that, if you should want to date this guy or that gal, if you should want to marry this guy or that gal, if you should think it's a good idea to confront this person or not, if you should take this incredibly big risk in your life. Most of these issues require wisdom where there might be multiple choices that you could make in which all of them are morally equal. And so we need to let the Proverbs, we need to let the very wisdom of God shape us into people who will make the kinds of decisions that are clearer, that are easier, easier, more easily made, that are honoring to the Lord. And so the Proverbs are short, pithy, memorable statements that are meant to be memorized and then to be pulled out, like memorized and put in this toolbox and then pulled out and applied at the right time. They aren't absolute truths. There are parents who absolutely will train up a child in the way that he should go and then the child nevertheless still departs from the truth. That happens. Some of you know this to be true painfully and experientially. Sometimes there are extremely hard workers that nevertheless do not receive or benefit from extraordinary financial returns. But the Proverbs are observationally and generally true. It's kind of like these are the ways that paper airplanes generally fly because I've observed it to be true over the course of my life. And so one of my friends says that wisdom is an investment in future joy. That's great. Just Memorize that and keep that as like a title for this entire study that we're going to be going through over the next many months. Wisdom is an investment in future joy. If you can figure out these things now, you are socking away, you are saving, you are investing for both present, but then even future joy. And so oftentimes there will be specific proverbs speaking to some of these topical issues. So we'll look at these things topically, like making decisions, friendship, parenting, your words, the tongue vocation, work, and money. And when you think of those pithy one-liners about work or about your, your speech or something, uh, you're likely thinking of the collection of those short, pithy Proverbs that are found in chapters 10 through 29 of the book of Proverbs. These are memorable phrases that are be, to be used and applied. And we have these too. In American contemporary culture, we also have Proverbs. Nearly every culture has Proverbs. Like, here's a proverb. It isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. That's a proverb. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. All of these are proverbs. Build a man a fire and he's warm for a day. Set a man on fire and he's warm for a lifetime. I think I got that right. Uh, You can pick your nose and you can pick your friends, but you can't wipe your friends on the back of the couch. That is a proverb. Uh, Did I get that one wrong? I think I got that one wrong. But those, all of these proverbs are meant to be memorized, to be put away in your toolbox and then taken out and applied at the right moment. When your kid has just lost the game and needs comfort, 
hey man, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, that kind of thing in that type of situation. And so, when we get to the topical stuff in chapter 10, I'm going to give us just one proverb a week that I think would be really wise for the rest of your life for us all to memorize together. Uh, Just one to take, memorize, sock away, and save, and then to be used at the right time. But all of that will come. First, we have nine chapters of introduction. And if we get these nine chapters wrong, if we get this introduction to these pithy one-liners wrong, then we will get the rest of the book wrong. We will get the pithy one-liners wrong. If we skip or misinterpret chapters one through nine, then the rest of the book just becomes a way to have a better life, or even a handbook of moralism. But since the entire Bible is about God's salvation of people, through the person and the work of King Jesus, that God might dwell with them, then Proverbs is also a book about how King Jesus will rescue, save, and dwell with his people. The book of Proverbs is a book about Jesus. But we'll get there. We'll get to chapters 10 through 31 eventually. We've got some work to do in these first introductory chapters. Since Proverbs 1, that you just heard Dave read, acts as a really, really good Uh, intro to the rest of the book. It's almost like a table of contents for the whole uh, chapters one through nine. Many of the themes that Dave read for us in these first nine chapters uh, get introduced here in chapter one and get repeated, and they'll get more deeply developed over the next few chapters. And so we're going to use this chapter as a somewhat shallow uh, introduction as well as we get deeper and deeper in these themes in the weeks to come. So three parts tonight as we introduce and think about wisdom as we think about the Proverbs. So three parts that we'll think through, and that is the beginning of wisdom, growing, or the growth of wisdom, and the love of wisdom. The beginning, the growth, the love of wisdom. So first of all, the beginning of wisdom. First of all, verse 1 of Proverbs 1. 1, 1 tells us that, tells us the Proverbs are the Proverbs of Solomon. That is, chapters 10 through 29. Chapter 30, we have a little subtitle that tells us that those are the Proverbs of Agur, who we don't know anything about. And chapter 31 are, are some wisdom musings from some guy named Lemuel, who's someone else we don't know anything about. Chapter 25, verse 1 also tells us that 25 through 29 are more Proverbs from Solomon that King Hezekiah's scribes added. So 25 through 29 comes 250 years after the time of Solomon. So we're actually not sure who wrote chapters 1 through 9. Verse 1 tells us that the Proverbs are from Solomon, but could, it could be that chapters 1 through 9 are from Solomon or some later editor in Hezekiah's time. We're not sure. Either way, these chapters are inspired by God and just as unreal. They are just so good. They will change your life. Chapters 1 through 9. But whoever wrote it tells us what this book is for. Verses 2 through 7, here's what the book of Proverbs is for. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insights, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this book, the whole thing that is to come, is to give us practical wisdom. It is to give us instruction in prudence. It is to give us intellectual wisdom, that is, knowledge and insight. 
It is to give us moral wisdom, that is, instruction for righteousness and justice and equity, as well as just to give us wisdom for like the mysteries of life, the mysteries of the world that you, verse six, might understand other proverbs and riddles, things that you don't understand in the world. We need wisdom and even proverbs to help us in those kinds of things as well. But where does all of this wisdom come from? Where does this practical and moral and intellectual wisdom come from? Remember last week when we were in Psalm 27 and I gave us this little fill-in-the-blank exercise where David says, one thing that I would ask of the Lord. And then we thought through, like, if, all right, if I were in my heart of hearts going to answer that question, one thing, what, what would my heart want most? Well, David, what his heart would ask for in Psalm 27 was that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the thing that he wants most, to delight in God's presence. Well, let's do another fill-in-the-blank exercise here in Proverbs 1-7. If I told you, blank is the beginning of knowledge, how would you fill in the blank? A college education? Being well-read is the beginning of knowledge. Listening to lots of podcasts is the beginning of knowledge, and ain't nothing wrong with that. Access even to Google, access to Wikipedia. We were talking about in our house yesterday, Encyclopedia Britannica's. Those were something. If you have access to those, then that is the beginning of knowledge. Well, I'm pretty sure if we had no biblical categories for this sentence that is like burned into our brains, especially if you've grown up in the church, very few of us, probably none of us, would fill in the blank of verse 7 like it actually does. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This phrase, the fear of the Lord, appears all throughout the Proverbs. So we have lots more to go. We'll dig really deeply in that phrase as we go, certainly in chapter 3. But I might define this kind of fear like this. A reverence for authority that brings obedience and joy. That's what the fear of the Lord is. A reverence for authority that brings obedience and joy. Like when I walk out of my kid's bedroom in the evening, it's like 8.10, 8.15, 8.20 or something, and I tell them, all right guys, it's a school night, you guys can read till 8.30, then lights out. They, especially when they are younger, they just take me at my word. And they keep an eye on the clock and they turn the lights out at 8.30. They could, even without me knowing it, just continue right on through 8.30 in just blatant disobedience and read till nine o'clock. I'm usually not like looking under their door or opening their door to make sure that their light is out. They could do that, but they trust me and they do what I've asked of them. We would never say this in modern contemporary language, but they obey me in biblical categories because they fear me. Not to say that they are afraid of me, but they fear me. They know that there are consequences for disobedience, and they trust me. And their obedience actually brings joy. They trust me in a peaceful relationship. They know that I am for their good. And even going to sleep at 8.30 brings about happiness. They get a good night's sleep rather than trying to read until midnight. This kind of childlike reverence and trust is the fear of the Lord. And this is the beginning of knowledge. That is, knowing what I don't know 
and then trusting in the one who does. Seeing the world, seeing myself rightly to know what I don't know about the world and trusting in the one who does. Now there are like several sermons worth of things to think through in what we've just considered here, but this now gets us right into growing in wisdom. If the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, then how do we grow in wisdom? So secondly, the growth of wisdom. Knowing what I don't know and trusting in the one who does, then, verse eight says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This begins the very common theme of the next nine chapters of a father teaching his son. The next nine chapters is like one long walk with a dad with his arm around his young son's shoulder. That's, that's chapters one through nine. A long walk up and down the bosque with a dad with his arm around his son's shoulder, just talking. Now, youth in the Bible is often just a stand-in word for foolishness. If you're young, you're foolish. That's just the way it is. Which until the, like the 1950s and 60s was like self-evidently true. Advertising agencies in the 50s and 60s, though, figured out the importance of selling to youth because youth had lots of disposable income and because if they could hook them at 14 or 15 or 16, then they would have customers for life. And so advertising became targeted toward youth. And so for the very first time in human history, 40s, 50s, 60s, youth was celebrated. Now, Greek, the Greek culture, Greeks the Greeks celebrated, they even deified it beauty, but never youth, never youth. Humans always celebrated and looked up toward experience, toward wisdom. But then all of a sudden, in like the rock and roll songs and the movies that began to come out in the 1950s and 60s, all of a sudden, parents and principals became the bad guy. Now, if byproducts of age are experience and wisdom, what might two byproducts of youth be? Inexperience and stupidity. I mean, like when I was in high school, me and my friends, we used to intentionally make each other pass out. And I'm not going to tell you how we did that or how we did that because if you're a teenager here, you would do that tonight. You would just take that instruction, instructional how-to and make you and your brother and sister like pass out because you're young and because that's what we do when we're young. Like one night when I was, I think it was like my junior year in high school, I was probably 17, uh, some friends and I went out at like one in the morning and we went to Chili's. Chili's is long closed at 1 a.m. Uh, but outside of Chili's, they had these like manicured round bushes and we would like get a running start and like full round, like jump into this round bush and see who could bounce back the farthest. And it was hilarious until one of my friends bounced back so far that he hit the back of his head on one of those metal border dividers between the grass and the sidewalk, and he had to go to the ER and get stitches at like two in the morning because youth are stupid. It's just, it's true. Young people are idiots, and that's okay. It's just the way it is. Not only have we deified youth, but then we have also deified in our strange culture, we have deified stupidity. I couldn't believe it. We went and saw Shang-Chi on Monday, which was awesome, uh, but we saw a trailer for a new Jackass movie that is coming out 
Johnny Knoxville is 50 years old, and he is still doing the same things that he was doing when I was like a freshman in college, of just being dumb, and then the entire culture celebrating him for it. Western women spend millions of dollars, billions of dollars every year in trying to still look young, to celebrate youth. The youth will lead us, not according to the Bible. If you are young, the Bible assumes that you don't know very much, and that's okay. That's why this book is for you. And I'm not just talking to teenagers here. We are a relatively young church. Compared to many churches around town, we would be considered a youthful church that has much to learn, that has much to grow in. If wisdom is something like being an experienced sailor, if you haven't been on the boat for very long, then we have much to learn. It's good to recognize that and then grow. But who else is this book for? Who else is wisdom for? Not just the youth who know nothing, but verse 5, it is also for the wise. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Growing in wisdom is ongoing. It is for the rest of your life. And so this book is for all people. We might say that God offers wisdom to anyone who wants it. Everyone is invited, except for one group. Who? The fool. And why? The fool is someone who rejects wisdom, who rejects instruction. Not just as a byproduct of a foolish culture, but as, a by, as a, being a product of foolish sinfulness, of in pride rejecting wisdom. Like when our kids say, Mom, I got this. I don't need help. I don't need advice. But then in our own hearts, as adults, when we often operate in the exact same way, I got this. I don't need your advice. We hate it when we're corrected because that means that there is someone who is wiser or who is in a greater place of authority over us, and we do not like that. This is the opposite of the fear of the Lord, certainly when we are children, but even when we are around people who are wiser and much more mature than we are. This is the opposite of the fear of the Lord, and the biblical category for that person is a fool. Skipping down to verse 24. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, and have stretched, out my, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish came upon you, then you, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. This imagery should remind us of Matthew 7, where Jesus is saying that a wise man builds his house on the rock. When someone builds his house on sand, he is foolish. He took a shortcut road, and then when calamity comes, there is no, there's nothing to do about it at that point. This kind of person is someone who's on the boat, but pays no attention to the winds, pays no attention to the waves, pays no attention to learning the right knots, and the sails, and what's more, not just not paying attention, but being surrounded, being surrounded by wise and generous, eager and caring, older and experienced sailors who are trying 
to give wisdom, but then this person still refuses to listen. It's only when the hurricane comes that the fool realizes that he could have, that he should have listened. But by then it'll be too late. John Calvin wrote, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. This is where wisdom comes from, the knowledge of God, and then in light of and in response to the knowledge of God, then we come to know ourselves. When we come to realize that we actually are not the main character of this story, we are not the main character of this world, of this church, of our family even, the knowledge of God necessarily brings humility. I've told teenagers for years now that probably the very highest compliment that I could ever pay them is that they are teachable. That's about the highest compliment that I could give any teenager. Dude, you are so teachable. This implies wisdom. It implies a right understanding of themselves. It implies humility. That they don't think that they've got the world to figure out, that they are the main character. Now, I don't claim to be someone that is like just overflowing with wisdom. That's one reason I'm really looking forward to this walk through the Proverbs, that I might grow in wisdom. But I heard one author say this week that increasingly these days, unlike generations past where people would join churches to be shaped and formed by the church and by the pastor of those churches, increasingly these days, people look for or visit churches with an expectation that the pastor needs to already agree with and affirm the conclusions that they have, that they bring into the life of the church, that they have gotten from their own books, from their own websites, from their own blogs and podcasts. This is actually not a pursuit of wisdom, of seeking to shape and form institutions rather than being shaped and formed by institutions. Again, I'm not saying that I or the pastors here are the very fountainhead of all wisdom, but I think it is just kind of indicative of a wider societal problem of foolishness. This week I was involved in a conversation with a gal not in our church, and she was, sh- she was sharing uh, something that she had, that's a lot of S's. She was sharing something that she saw on social media. Nailed it! Um, and she was uh, just sharing something that she was very concerned by. It was related to COVID, like it all is these days. Uh, and I said, oh man, like I saw that very same thing that you are concerned about. And that does sound scary, but here's some more info on why the thing that you're concerned about actually isn't all that scary. And she was like, oh, well, good. I just read the headline. Like, <laughs> but that is all of us these days. One writer in the Atlantic wrote way back in 2008. It's like a lifetime ago, 2008. He wrote this, the internet seems to be chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. My my mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once, I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now, I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. And that is how we zip around the world thinking about things very quickly with very little contemplation. We, I think, myself absolutely included, are probably the most foolish generation who has ever lived in human history. So, we likely 
need the Proverbs. We need a realization that we actually do need to grow in wisdom probably more than any generation in human history. We need this. We need to become more and more teachable, more and more humble. But to reiterate the point, not necessarily to be taught by just me or your pastors, just the words that are coming out of our mouth. We are just the messengers, which now gets us to our, light, our last point, and that is delighting in wisdom. In Proverbs 1:20 and following, the writer introduce, introduces a character that will appear and reappear over and over and over again throughout this book, especially in the first nine chapters. A character often called Lady Wisdom. We read this in chapter one, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. This is what she says and what she's crying out. She says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Now again, We've got many, many weeks to dig deeper in this, but the guys over at the Bible Project have persuaded me, and by the way, I don't like blanket endorsement everything that the guys over at the Bible Project say these days, but I think they, based on the work of lots of Old Testament scholars, have persuaded me uh, that the Proverbs, along with the other books of Solomon, are like an extended meditation on Genesis one through three. That's all this book is. That, in the beginning, Man was created to know and dwell with God, and that God created a woman to be a helper for the man. Not as like a kindergarten, my little helper kind of helper, but the word for helper being the same word that is often used of God, like my help and my salvation. That is, man created woman to be, to help him accomplish what he could not do on his own. So man and woman are given a tree, a tree of eternal life, and then another tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the question quickly becomes, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is will they fear the Lord? Will the man and the woman fear the Lord, trust him? Will they continually come to him for the wisdom from above, or will they trust in themselves and their own worldly, foolish, fleshly wisdom on their own. And so, the Proverbs 1 father, he's got his arm around his son, and he's saying, here's Lady Wisdom right here, personified in all of her glory. There she is. She is your helper for what you cannot accomplish on your own. You need her. When you come to her and know her, then now life becomes a consummated experience of dwelling with God, full and free life as we were intended to live in. Not to spoil chapter 3, but Proverbs 3.18 says, even of Lady Wisdom, she is a tree of life, a tree of life to those who would take hold of her. And so the, the book of Proverbs is about rejecting the tree of the world that promises life, but only brings death? I mean, after all, in Proverbs 1, sorry, where is it? 
31, those who have rejected wisdom, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way. The book of Proverbs is about rejecting that tree and its fruit and instead walking hand in hand with Lady Wisdom in fully consummated love in the fear of the Lord with eyes fixed joyfully on our King walking to the tree of life, walking to the tree of wisdom, the tree of God's wisdom. And that's what happens in chapter one. Before we are introduced to Lady Wisdom, we have these verses in 10, verses 10 through 19, which are kind of weird. Like if you were going to start a book on wisdom and you were walking with your son with your arm around his shoulder, like what's one of the very first things that you would tell him? One of the very most important things that you would want to, him to carry along with him for the rest of his life. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, which is what? What is his what is the father and mother's teaching uh, in verses 10 through 19? It's basically this, don't join a gang. Like, don't hide in dark corners and kill people. That's my wisdom for you. Don't, don't get into a gang. All right? But what I think Solomon, or whoever this is, is recognizing is that there is a sense in which we have a very deep longing for belonging. And that we will often short-circuit what is obviously wise for belonging, for short-sighted thrills and pleasure. That is, did God really say? Did he really say? Yes, he has. He has spoken. Will you fear him and trust him? Walk away from those other voices. Walk away from death. What is the end result of those who are laying in wait Uh, for others to take advantage of them, their own death. It is a suicidal mission to align yourself with folly. Instead, walk toward wisdom, walk toward the divine voice, walk toward life. I think a great summary of the book of Proverbs is the song we sang just before this, Be Thou My Vision. If you want to know what it looks like to pursue a life of wisdom, just read, reread, meditate, and consider the song and the lyrics that we just sang. Be Thou My Vision. Help me to not only behold you as the thing that the object of my vision, but help me to see. Help me to see what is wise and as I am walking. And so, We're not going to just start like a moralistic campaign of let's get smarter, everybody, and make better decisions. Like make good decisions, everyone, this week. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to go instead on a person hunt. Paul says in Colossians 2 that all of the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden, but then are revealed in Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. The very wisdom of God for us. And yet, in John chapter 5, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees by saying this. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, though, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so as one commentator says, life does not come through Bible literacy. Life does not come through memorizing some pithy one-liners. Life comes through Jesus. And so it is him that we will pursue 
as we pursue wisdom. Jesus is wisdom personified, not figuratively like Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 1 through 9, but Jesus is wisdom personified very literally, actually. He not only reveals wisdom for us, showing us what James calls the wisdom from above, he not only models wisdom for us, teaching us how to be wise, but in humility and communion with us, or with us, then he gives us wisdom. Not just modeling it, but he gives us wisdom through his Holy Spirit. And he provides grace and love and mercy and patience for fools like you and me. And so, come to him tonight, you feeble-minded person. Come to him tonight, you weak-willed and short-sighted person. And he will give you rest. And over the course of your life, as you grow in wisdom, he will cause you to love wisdom, to delight in it as you love him, as you delight in him. And so we've got a long way to go. This is a road that will take us right up until Christmas time through this book, but hopefully it is a road that continues long through Christmas for the rest of our lives and into eternity. Now I just want to give you a heads up for the next month. Uh, many of you know, some of you don't, I, I've been working on a PhD at the University of Leicester in England. I'm a distance international student doing it mostly from here. Uh, I've been delaying and delaying and delaying a research trip to England uh, for like a year now because of COVID. Uh, I'm finally getting to go. So on Friday, I am going to England for two and a half weeks. Uh, I am researching a Baptist church who kept the minutes of its congregational church meetings from 1677 to 1711. It's all handwritten and is awesome. Uh, and this church still exists in London, and I get to preach there next Sunday, which I couldn't be more excited about. Uh, you Baptist nerds out there, uh, Hercules Collins was one of its pastors in the late 1600s anyway. I get to preach in Hercules Collins Church next Sunday. Um, anyway, I'm going to be gone for two and a half weeks, and then four of you are meeting me at Heathrow Airport, and we are on our way for a week to visit our partners, the Ims in South Asia, to get to see them and their everyday life and living so that we might be able to come back with greater excitement to advocate for them to you all with greater uh, knowledge just seeing them and uh, with greater love for them. So, four Sundays. I just, I'm like saying we're opening and starting Proverbs and then I'm getting out of here uh, for the next four Sundays, but uh, let me see if I can do this in order. Uh, Clint and then Kyle and then Jordan and then Aaron are going to be preaching through these, get us through chapters uh, two through seven, and I can't wait to listen to those. Uh, so just a heads up where we're going for the next month, but we got a long way to go and I am real excited about it. So let's pursue wisdom. Let's pursue Christ together with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And let's pray to that end. Our Father, we confess to you that we do have feeble minds. We are so short-sighted. We are brash. We often do not seek you. We often do not fear you. We consider ourselves to be the highest authority in our life and in this world, and for that we repent. Father, we pray that you would uh, keep your promise to draw near to us as we draw near to you. As we seek Christ, Lord Jesus, you say that if we knock, you will open the door. And so we pray that you would give of yourself freely to us. By your Spirit, cause us to become wise. 
Calls us to become wise for our own joy, both now and as an investment in the future. But cause us to become wise that we might more freely uh, share your love, your kindness, your grace to the world around us. Cause this world, through your Son, by the power of your Spirit, and in and through the life of your church, to become wise. Cause us to become wise as you are wise. Help us, shape us, inform us, we pray. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.